Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm your host today, Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. My guest on the podcast today is Sister Mary Bridget Burnham. Sister Mary Bridget entered the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia of Nashville in 1991. She has been in the Ministry of Teaching for 25 years teaching a variety of subjects and grade levels. Sister Mary Bridget has been a featured speaker at a number of events throughout the years and always inspires. I also have to say that um, she's just she's just an impressive person. She's versed in several languages. She teaches AP sciences, and she has a phenomenal understanding of curriculum design, both at the the classroom lesson level and at the system level. And she's just a generally brilliant person and an educator with the most humble and gracious affect you can imagine, (laughs) which I'm sure will come through during the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Sister Mary Bridget. Thank you, Colleen. I'm so happy to be here. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners about yourself? I also get to direct the plays, and uh, we're doing our first musical, Tuck Everlasting, and that's going to be in February. And we're so excited because, you know, brand new school, we have our first seniors, and so finally they've earned the right to do a musical, and we're, we're thrilled. That is exciting. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. All right, so the reason that I invited you to um, have a conversation today is there were uh, a couple of years when I had asked you to present to new teachers. And we both know the vulnerability of those first couple of years of teaching. Um, I mean, I know I remember mine well, not fondly. And um, (laughs) I know that you have also shared uh, you know, the, the memories of your first years of teaching as well. And so the the empathy that we have for people coming into the profession and truly the hope that we can nurture and assist them so that they can fall in love with the profession and not burn out and leave it is it's really important. So um, you've been inspiring to new teachers. And so that's really what I wanted you to come and talk about today. You do this great presentation about the Ten Commandments for new teachers. And so I'm just going to hand it over to you. And I want you to talk through those. And I'll just jump in when I, when I have a, a, you know, a memory or a comment in there. Okay? I love it. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, the Ten Commandments of, for new teachers starts with my first year teaching and our novice mistress said to us this the first commandment do the best you can in the time you have for the love of god and it's so freeing i have to repeat it do the best you can in the time you have for the love of god and what if that means i don't have time to retype a test or what if that means i don't have time that's fine I just have to do the best that I can in the time that I have for the love of God. And that way I'm sort of 
open to Christ the teacher, being the teacher in the classroom. Really, God knows what the kids need. And I might think it's one thing, but he knows. It's something else that they need. And if last night even, I, it was the feast of uh, the Immaculate Conception, and I thought, I, I just, I need to pray, and then I just need to go to sleep so that I have, I'm fresher for the students, and the Lord will make it work. And, and yet again, after this many years of teaching, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also makes me think of, it's, it's important for new teachers and also for new leaders, actually, to understand you are enough and what you are doing day in and day out. And if you are giving of yourself and you are using your gifts to serve those children, you are enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, yes. We'll see that also with our students. The students are gifts to us when we allow them to be. And when I, when I see my work as a teacher as not tricking them or, or doing anything other than loving them with God's love through English, through acting, through religion, through history, whatever we teach, that they give to us, we give to them, and it's, it's giving to each other that's so beautiful. Of course, we have to have good discipline and classroom management and so forth, but at the base of it, Colleen, exactly what you said, that God's love comes through us to them, and God's love comes to us uh, through the students. So uh, the second commandment is, thou shalt pray in the name of the Lord before, during, and after every class. And I, this commandment, obviously we're going to start our classroom day with prayer. And St. Francis de Sales has a wonderful practice that I've been trying this year more than before, which is for the space of about an Our Father, picture the eyes of Jesus gazing upon me and upon each of my students, but I'm the one praying and I need to really pray. My goal for this year, one of my uh, professional development goals was to actually pray when I'm praying, which means I'm not secretly counting the kids to see who's absent or uh, quickly taking attendance while I'm making the sign of the cross or even using the sign of the cross to be a classroom management tool, but instead to just invite everyone to close his or her eyes, to think of Jesus gazing at us, to take a little moment of pause, and then to start the prayer. And what I've seen it do in the classroom is this calm that comes upon us that's so beautiful. And then, to be honest, I don't actually stop and pray during class except for religion class. And it's a rare day that I've actually finished my last sentence before the bell rings. So I don't actually end up praying at the end of each class, but I think just as they're thanking me or if I'm saying goodbye, have a great day, God bless you, that might be my send out prayer. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. The idea of um, just that, that presence, being present in the moment authentically with God, that is a, a totally different approach than <laughs> what you said there a, a second ago, um, to use the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a way to gain um, the attention of the class, which I know, first of all, it works, but and I know that it's used, but but you're right. If you think about, um, don't do it that way. Just uh, the the true presence of the prayer can also have the same effect, right? 
Yes, that's definitely the hope. I didn't say this, but it's part of the second commandment when we pray with the students, but also we pray for the students. And I pass a note, I pass a note paper to all of my students at the beginning of the school year, and each of them will write his or her name on that paper. And so then I actually have their own handwriting, which is sort of incarnational, their personality, the little heart or the eye, you know, she chooses purple. <laughs> uh, those things are so sweet and and it shows me sort of the hope the child brings to that class. And that can happen any time. We can start over every day. I was I was reading the, a dieting uh, article one day and she was saying every meal is a chance to start over. So maybe if if someone didn't start the school year writing, having the kids write down their names to pray over those names, do it today, do it tomorrow, it doesn't matter. Because then the kids can see that I see them as something precious and valued in God's sight and that I wanna pray for them even outside of the class time. That's a beautiful suggestion, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, suggestion three or commandment three, between two options, thou shalt choose the one that makes them laugh. and. This is wonderful because uh, we all know that we remember moments that were emotionally charged. Where was I uh, September 11th when the towers went down? Where was I when I can remember where I was standing when I got really bad news? I can remember the face of that child when she heard she got the scholarship. These moments of intense emotion burn themselves into our memory. So obviously when we're teaching, if there's a boring way to do it and a way that they'll all laugh, then we definitely choose the one that makes them laugh. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, any, anything that we're doing, if there can be emotion channeled in that direction, we want to do it. I first heard this concept from a teacher who was talking about the, the Shakespeare room if you look at uh, parts of the kids' brains as rooms in a library or a mansion, walk into the Shakespeare room and there might be a little sliver of a Romeo and Juliet script. And over there, you might have a dagger for stabbing Julius Caesar and use the same dagger on Macbeth, that'll work. And there's nothing else in there, close the door. Open the next door of the mind. It's the, at the time, Leonardo DiCaprio room. It was when Titanic had just come out. And the shelves are, Poor, they're full with stuff because of all the emotion, you know, that 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 actor and that play and that music and all that evoked. And so what we started doing actually in religion classes is the kids, when they make their presentations, they actually pick a piece of epic music. And we're not worried about copyright because we're not posting these. We're just playing them behind as they're standing up. And I'll tell you what, the emotion that that packs in behind those wonderful, beautiful songs really delivers the message. And there's a lot of intensity in the life of a teenager and in the life of a junior high student. And even, you know, you think of those younger grades and how tough it is, fourth grade, fifth grade. So just in the developmental scope of a child's life, um, there's enough intensity. So any, I agree with you, anytime you can bring that, that positive emotion forward and get some, get some laughter going. Yeah, that's the way to go. Uh, The fourth commandment, so important, thou shalt do with, parentheses, or before, the student every task thou givest them to do. This is called, I have to do the homework 
before I actually assign the homework. <laughs> and how I learned this was when the teacher before me, she used to at Advent, she used to have the kids go home and make their own Advent calendar. And I was teaching three religion classes and I thought it was only fair to make three different Advent calendars. And seven hours later, I just said, this is insane. You can buy this with a click of the button on Amazon. I, is this, is this, the, I'm not, I'm not assigning this because I'm not doing this again. Uh, I found, I found that one year I was teaching Algebra 1 and I wasn't really confident in my ability to teach it well because I knew I made errors. And so what I would do is I would do the homework the day before I taught the lesson in class and I found myself number 17 I forgot the negative sign and so I remember telling the girls uh, y'all remember circle number 17 check your negative sign when you get there at, on the homework and it was neat because I knew the lesson really well and I knew what part of the homework was going to drive that part of the lesson I knew that if I take 20 minutes to do something times three for the kids to do that same work and so I'm able to give homework that's not that doesn't kill them but it's exactly what I want them to do and and it focuses the lesson and it focuses their time so I don't have them making things that they could buy very quickly I have them doing things that only their brain can do that's awesome good so what's next up next is classroom management I already said every day is a chance to begin again so a uh, helpful fifth commandment, thou shalt correct in private for private offenses and in public for public offenses. Mm -hmm. So especially teens, they cannot, um, to be corrected in, in public, it will almost ruin their lives. Whereas if all I do is walk up and say, hey, skirt, socks, uh, see me right after class, then they just, they know, okay, I'm, at least I'm paying attention to their privacy, their, their dignity as a person. Then the sixth commandment, thou shalt not speak in vain, uh, nor send out communications that have not been approved. So obviously, if we're going to send out a letter or something, uh, definitely run it by whoever we're supposed to run these things by so that we don't have calendar conflicts and later have to go back and say, actually, I'm sorry, someone else has already chosen that room, that day, that place. Uh, let's try something else. And uh, thou shalt not speak in vain. The other day, I, I told the kid, first time please do it second time please do it third time I used a loud voice and another kid said dang and I said no 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 it's don't dang me this is the third time I said it but then I thought but that's my problem why is it the third time I've said it why didn't I go and touch him on the shoulder would you know, just touch his desk for a second and so what I of course what I did after that was um, I had a tambourine <laughs> and I said listen when I tambourine everybody freeze I'm going to say something, then continue moving. And sure enough, and so they're all doing their thing, and I tambourine, and they all pause. I gave them their information, they went on, and everybody was happy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Communication is, is the beginning and an end of all things. And, you know, good communication makes for happy classrooms. And happy schools, as, as you said earlier, anything you're going to write and send out, you know, make sure you're writing it past people, checking with everyone. Um, we don't work in silos, right? That's right. Uh, and, and this is, you know, you new teachers, you have, to, you have to manage your time. So set a cutoff time after school when you're just going to leave. 
and set a cutoff time after which kids can't hand it in. And yes, they're handing it in on Google Classroom maybe, 3.15 or whatever your cutoff time, then it's, then it's late, it's the next day, so that you're, you have some time. And y'all, first year teachers, accept that you'll be behind and it's okay. Here's the thing that all of our first year teachers gave us this last year. You all know more technologically than we do. You're probably better at using everything digital, everything Google, everything online than anyone who's been teaching for a fair number of years. So anytime you can offer to help us manage our time, we're gonna be grateful to you. And my last new teacher thing uh, under this time management, don't let perfectionism ruin greatness. Remember commandment number one, do the best you can in the time that you have for the love of God. And it is gonna be wonderful. Okay, so seven, thou shalt not steal from the students the opportunity to discover the answer for themselves. Uh, create the learning gap and then give them the wait time. And it'll get uncomfortable, but then they'll get it. And that's the synapses, the joy, the dopamine they get from solving the problem themselves is magnificent. It's worth it. Commandment eight, thou shalt not bear false witness against any other teachers. We need each other. When someone says something against a colleague of mine in my presence, it, it will be stopped. I will stop them because this is my colleague who loves these students as much as I do. And if the students don't see it, then student, this other teacher is worthy of you going and telling him, this is how you feel it's going. Go in private, set an appointment, you know, and coach the kids how to do it. But if we have each other's back, we teachers, for us to have each other's back, for the kids to know that we're one united faculty that gives them solidity, security, so they know they're safe in our school. So modeling that for students is very important, first of all, but um, also I, as I think back and I think about those teachers who really did look out for me, help me to take care of myself, um, you know, help me to manage my time better, um, you know, thinking about taking care of one another is so important to do, but also so important to model that to students that you um, you all have to have each other's back. We're all in this together. Yep. And I've had the great joy of teaching with a former students who have come mm -hmm. back and joined us in the mission because they've loved their experience at the school. And I'm, I'm even more protective of them because those are my yeah. babies who are now Miss Morris and Miss McInerney instead of just, you know, a random random teacher down the hall no these yeah. are these are special people so it's it's even easier really okay well we're down to the last two this is that these are two commandments under grading and I'll just say before I start to the last well no nine whoever is working the hardest is learning the most and I'll repeat that whoever is working the hardest is learning the most if I'm working the hardest, I already know this stuff. <laughs> so I need to craft a lesson so that the students are working the hardest, so that the students learn the most. And obviously that takes us to presentations, um, recitations, the students are giving a demo. There was a brilliant teacher who used to divide up a history unit into 10 segments and then 10 students would do a presentation on it. But, and it was a 30 second demonstration 
And when he would hit their topic, Jim Crow laws or whatever, they would say, Mr. Teacher, I have a demonstration on that topic. And he would say, yes, you do. The student would stand up. He'd go to the room, give the 30-second demonstration. It was a different voice speaking. It was a different modality. Everything was just fresh for just those moments. He sat back down. The, the teacher kept on teaching. It was just clever, things like that. And we can do that with just a little bit of uh, forward thought. Or if there's a kid in the classroom who's always watching the clock, probably that kid has a good sense of time. And you can, uh, you can leverage him into putting together a little uh, presentation system. Or, you know, what gifts do the kids have? Well, let's get those out there. So that's something great to share the load, but also to give them more opportunities to do the learning. Yeah, for sure. And you're, you're kind of referring back to something you talked about just a couple minutes ago, and it's that let the kids solve the problem. Let, let inquiry be the way that they're learning. The, the teacher no longer, does the teacher need to be the one with all of the answers, giving all of the direction and you know knowing the most? It's just not that way anymore. So yeah, let the kids do it. One of the great jobs you'll, you'll find is there's always a kid who wants to do the fact checking. And mm -hmm. everyone now has probably a Chromebook or some sort of a device. And so it's so easy. And I'll give the story and then I'll have a look at the kid. Actually, I don't remember what day did he die? He says, I'm on it. Type, type, type. Yep. And then he's got the answer. It's fantastic. I love teaching this way. <laughs> um, two pieces of advice for the new teachers. New teachers, please be willing to give zeros. And, you, and they don't have to stay zeros. But if, if you don't give a zero, the kid will not know that you really did take a grade for that thing. And he won't know to come back to you and say, did I miss that? I have a zero. What is that? And, and the zero, if nothing else, it'll alert him to this missing work. And then he can come and find you and say, all right, so what is that? And then he'll make it up. If, if nothing is done, the kid's been absent and nothing is entered into the grade book, then there's no reason for the student, the absent student, to make any move because, you know, life has just gone on as, as usual. Sure. As much as we want to believe that all students are going to come back and advocate for themselves and check on their missed work, that's not the case. But, but the, a zero forces a communication, doesn't it? And that's the most important thing. Yep. Uh, yeah. Zeros don't have to be permanent. Zeros can be indicators. That's all. So, <laughs> and then the second thing about grading, it goes with the other two we've said, whoever's working hardest is learning the most and sh you shall not steal from the students the opportunity to discover the, for themselves. We don't need to help too much either. And that is hard. I've done just a little bit of work with special needs kids, options kids, and what they really need is for me to let them try and yeah. get my hands and my mouth off of them and let's see what they can do. And I think they love being treated as capable. And so the more we help, the more we're saying, you can't do that unless we do it very, very beautifully. Um, we can coach, but we don't want to help too much. Yeah. <clears throat> Which takes me to my final, number 10. <laughs> Thou shalt do nothing for the students that they can and should do for themselves. And I'll repeat that. <laughs> Thou shalt do nothing for the students that they can and should do for themselves. And I learned this, that I was doing my master's degree. We had to do seven different videos of ourselves. And one of them had to be 
oh, I don't even remember what it was looking for, but what I saw in the video, I had taken 45 minutes to put together uh, sheets about the different uses of to drop something, and this was in German, not that it matters, and the kids, and I had two students, this was AP German, I had a total of two students, and I had spent, as I said, 45 minutes making the paper. I gave it to each of them. I turned to do something at the whiteboard. I turned back around. They were looking at something else. When I reviewed the video footage, I counted. They interacted with that sheet of paper exactly 10 seconds. Oh. And I had put in 45 minutes on the work. And I huh. thought, huh, I'm not making the next vocab sheet. <laughs> Thou shalt do nothing for the students that they can and should do for themselves. So then they started generating all of their vocab sheets. They started generating vocab sheets that had gaps. So she had some of the answers and she had some of the answers and they actually had to communicate in German to get each other's answers. Then I thought, well, why stop there? So let's get some quiz questions going. They started writing their own quiz questions. Why stop there? They started writing their own tests and giving them to each other. Um, once I moved into a larger setting, I still do all of those sorts of things. Anything that they can do for themselves, let's have them do it. One kid said, well, I could write a better essay prompt. I said, well, please, <laughs> be my guest. And By it has, all means. <laughs> and it has, been, it has been wonderful. It's freed me up. It's allowed more minds than just my mind to look at a problem. There's other solutions than the solution I would have. And these kids are proposing them and they're giving them to me. This goes all the way down to first grade kindergarten. I've seen these kids can all do this. Yes. I love that. In fact, as you were talking, that's, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, little kids can do this too. Any student can give a suggestion on, well, if a teacher asks, so what should be on the test? What should, what did we learn? What should we be testing for? The students will tell you. Yes, we actually, that's one of our last exercises. What were the five major lessons of Revelation of Jesus? And what they come up with is not necessarily what I thought I was <laughs> giving yeah. them. But, but the five things they come up with show me where I really did allocate my time. If nothing else, it's an excellent inventory or uh, end of year. What are those things, Colleen, where, where we ask them what they thought of the year? The summaries or the... Mm -hmm. And evaluation, evaluation. Feedback. that's yeah. it and they have always been so enriching for me one wonderful thing here at the end of a semester or really at any time at the end of any unit or the end of when something has gone over more than one or two days to write down what what are your three takeaways what are your 10 takeaways what are the 20 things you learned this year and they will be they will be things maybe i didn't expect but generally they'll enrich me and it'll go back to that very first point that we really are enough. There might be personal lessons they learned because I was the one standing in front of them. I actually keep a lot of those pages over the years and look back. Even if I don't reread them, I know they're there and I know that for someone I did make a difference. And our new teachers, you all have entered a noble, wonderful profession. You are needed and the kids need you. They need your love. They need your eyes on them just the way they need Jesus' eyes on them. Yes. So to uh, new teacher and new teachers, I mean, that's first year, second year, even, you know, pretty much into the third year where you start gaining your footing. Um, you know, thank you for coming into this profession, especially at such a difficult time in the life, in the world of education. And um, look for that support. Look for support in other teachers. 
look for that. Dig deep and, and take care of yourself. And remember that your students are a gift to you too. And support also comes from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Sister Mary Bridget, for sharing those 10 commandments, 10 commandments of new teachers. It's always, a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and to hear your wisdom. So I just want to thank my guest, Sister Mary Bridget Burnham, for joining me today on the NCEA podcast. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. And I hope you will join us again next time. 